Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. everyone. Welcome to the Being Planful podcast. Um, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and I'm really uh, pleased to be joined today by Ben Murray, uh, the founder of the SaaS CFO. Ben, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Rowan. Thanks for having me. Well, we were chatting pre-show about, uh, you know, obviously the SaaS industry itself. Uh, so going through some interesting times right now, but there's kind of a, a weird dichotomy to the SaaS industry. Number one is the beauty of its simplicity, uh, but then the complexity of, uh, of some of the nuance, but also the complexity and how do you scale a SaaS business and, and how do you grow through that rapid change, which is typically uh, what, what SaaS businesses are looking to do. And, and obviously the bigger they get, the uh, more profitable they get and more attractive they are for investors. And so I'd really love to, to talk deep dive on that. Uh, and for everyone's benefit, Ben has uh, been a financial analyst, FP&A lead and, and multi-time CFO himself and runs the SaaS CFO uh, podcast. And, and obviously, Ben, you're a fractional CFO, is that mm-hmm. correct? Correct, yep. Correct. So uh, for those businesses that may be listening and, and need some fractional advice, obviously reach out to Ben uh, and I personally use a lot of the metrics and benchmark reports that uh, that Ben Ben and team produce. So uh, thank you for that. All right, well let's get started, Ben. So um, let's talk about the kind of the simplicity. So the simplicity of SaaS is the key metrics, and you know as investors look at SaaS businesses, they generally um, are generally looking at the same set of benchmarks. Can you describe what they are and why they're important? Yeah, I mean, with with SaaS businesses now, it, it comes down to the health of the recurring revenue. So how do we dive into that to understand the stickiness of the revenue streams? And like you said, SaaS businesses, both simple and complex, right? We've got recurring revenue, we've got a, a bunch of headcount, but so many strategic decisions we have to make to grow the business. And in SaaS, you know, for my clients, and, and when you just operate your business, and maybe you're looking to raise money, or you're looking to exit, they're definitely a standard set of metrics that everyone wants to see. And I have a five pillar SaaS metrics framework that I use that I teach in my course that I use with my SaaS clients. And the first pillar is about growth. You know, where's your growth coming from? Is it new customers? Is it expansion customers? Is it both? Uh, the second pillar is retention. So looking at gross revenue retention, net revenue retention, logo retention, and the next pillar is margins. You know, so how's our overall gross margin? How are margins by revenue stream? And that's Rowan, where you say things are becoming more complex. So many different mm-hmm. pricing models, revenue streams. We've got PLG, SLG, and how that affects our, our margins. And then we have our financial profile, things like the rule of 40, our OPEX profile, EBITDA. And then finally, our go-to-market efficiency metrics. So CAC, CAC payback, LTV to CAC, cost of ARR, and so on, magic number. And looking at those metrics in whole uh, to understand the performance of a business and those you know, metrics are, are the ones that investors are going to want to look at as well. I, I really love how you break that down into those, those five pillars. So for those that you that are listening that, that have never been in a SaaS business or, or understand, you know, Ben threw out a lot of three-letter acronyms there that uh, you'll probably uh, never have heard of. 
we won't go into all of those, but uh, you can you can Google or chat GPT them now, I guess is probably a verb. And they'll tell you what each of those metrics mean. But uh, one thing you know about SAS, even though it's a four letter acronym, we have a lot of three letter acronyms throughout the business. So, so yeah. Ben, as we're talking about these these key metrics, right? So let's let's put ourselves in the in the shoes of someone who's probably you know mid level experience in a SaaS business. What is the core functions of an FP&A team in terms of getting uh, all of those metrics understood and shared across their business partner and the organizations that they support? Right there, you know, especially for a SaaS business, their core reports and core reports to FP&A, of course, we have our standard variance reports, actual to budget, or maybe actual forecasts that are really important to understand the health. Where did we make? Where did we miss? Why are we on plan, off plan? That's just core to that FP&A process. And then from there, we, we go into our forecasting cycle. And then, of course, creating metrics. There's, like you said, so many metrics for SaaS businesses. And, you know, it's hard to know where to start sometimes. And that's why I created that framework. Mm -hmm. So you could progress through your metrics. So the right metrics at the right stage, you may not calculate go-to-market efficiency metrics if you're 50K in MRR. But if you're 10 million ARR, for sure, you should be calculating mm -hmm. these. Uh, you know, so I think beyond the standard FP&A, core kind of reporting framework is then diving into those metrics. And then depending on how big of the business you are, do we just need one CAC payback period, for example, or do we need one by product line or do we need one by our deal customer profile? So there's an evolution that we go first, the accounting foundation, creating the SAS PL, putting forecasts in place, and then finally calculating metrics and then seeing how deep we have to go with those metrics. Yeah, I think the important thing for FP&A teams, one of the things you just mentioned there was like the maturity model of a SaaS business. And something that, you know, I see as, as being a leader of SaaS businesses is you'll get someone that has operated at one level of maturity and they might jump uh, either backwards or forwards or across the, the kind of maturity curve and then really struggling to understand how different those the goals of those key metrics are and the nuance of those key metrics. Can you talk about how important that is for both a CFO and, and FP&A teams in terms of advising the business on, on where they are at in those maturity levels? Because it really does change the way you uh, work within the company and operate the company itself. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. It's the right metrics at the right stage. Are you early on? Are you startup? Are you embedded FP&A in a business unit of a very large global organization? You know, and what resources do you have available? What technology are you using? What data? So it really do, just depends. Now, my framework can apply to both situations, but, you know, we want to make data-driven decisions. And that's the point of these metrics is to understand where are we investing? Where should we invest? Are these investments producing any ROI in our business? And then, of course, the great thing about SaaS is there are a, there are a lot of benchmarks. So we can mm -hmm. see how we're performing against our peers, especially in the B2B world, to see if we're on track. If we're not on track. Is, does it make sense that we're not on track? Uh, or, or is that part of our three-year plan to get to a certain financial profile? Uh, so there's so much that, that goes on. But first, it's just, it's always, let's just calculate it. Let's not make it perfect. Let's just calculate. And then we iterate over time and really refine those metrics so we can use them in that monthly financial process to make better decisions. 
Yeah, 100%. I think the the other element that I wanted to talk to you about there was you talked about benchmarking. And so the benchmarks that uh, SaaS businesses typically see are a lot of S1 filings, of course. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of bankers that share their perspectives with uh, all, you know, both the, the early stage founders and, and as you mentioned earlier, those looking to exit or do transactions. And and, and those bankers are looking for uh, you to hit these magic magic numbers, right? And there's even one called the magic number. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talk about uh, how important it is for uh, finance teams to A, understand stage and maturity and therefore where they should be at according to those benchmarks. And, and how should you think about, you know, be like, living in that world of being constantly benchmarked to peer sets. Yeah, because you, of course you see a lot of those public SaaS comps and public SaaS metrics, but a lot of us don't live in those in large public companies. And you know we're in the private SaaS world and we need benchmarks that are applicable to where we're operating because benchmarks, we can't just use generic benchmarks. So there's a bunch of great data sets out there, but we can't just use a benchmark that you know, is taken from a, you know, a $200 million company and a $1 million company. I like to benchmark my clients uh, by ACV size because go to market motion really kind of dictates, you know, the infrastructure we're building now, you know, how much we're investing in certain areas. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's not just one benchmark, but it's got to be the right benchmark that is applicable to our business so we can understand how we're operating. And then also, especially if you're going to fundraise or if you're going to exit, you're going to sell your company, you need to understand just how, how you look compared to, to the universe out there. Mm -hmm. And what are the typical benchmarks that uh, investors are looking for? Um, you know, let's, let's use your, your, your model, right, by ACV. So let's say I'm a 25K ACV, uh, you know, software company probably signing, you know, at that level, you're probably hopefully signing 500 to 1,000 customers a year, right? Yeah, so that's important. So if you're, say, 25K ACV versus someone who has a $10 a month price point, right, different benchmarks that we're going to look at, maybe you're going after B2B, these others have a mix of, you know, SMB to maybe B2C customers, you know, so that's going to vary. So those investors are going to, you know, you really have to look at those and benchmark your business differently because there are different expectations. Yeah. If you're selling 25K ACV versus 100K a month product, mm -hmm. different expectations, different benchmarks. So of course, investors looking at the health of your current revenue. You know, so how does your gross revenue retention stack up your net revenue retention? I've talked to some investors where if, it, you know, looking at acquisitions where they, if you can't calculate your retention number, they won't even talk to you. You know, they'll just like come back when you have that number. And then when you do have that number, then they have minimums. There some I've talked to their thresholds are 90%, say for gross revenue retention. If you're not there, they're not going to invest. They're not going to acquire. Mm -hmm. you know, so that's why it's so important to look at these. And of course, your overall financial profile, how's your revenue growth, how are your gross, what's your gross profit, how are your margins by revenue stream, what's your OPEX profile like, are you positive EBITDA, negative EBITDA? Uh, so again, with metrics, we want to look at everything in context versus just really isolating one metric and trying to determine the, the overall performance of a SaaS business with just one metric. Yeah, un unfortunately, there is no one single number, right? Mm -hmm. uh, many people might think, uh, you know, we talked about rule of 40 earlier, you mentioned that being one of mm -hmm. the kind of more, uh, you know, uh, important, you know, SaaS profile metrics. 
Do you want to explain rule of 40 to the, to the listeners? Sure. Yeah. Rule of 40 is the trade-off between profit and growth. So we're going to take your growth percentage plus your current profit percentage. And hopefully that uh, sums up to over 40 and you're deemed quote unquote attractive by investors. If that number is of over 40 public SaaS companies, you tend to see the, the revenue growth plus your free cash flow margin for private SaaS, it tends to be growth percentage plus your EBITDA margin to determine that number. And of course, as the CFO, I said, you know, financial discipline never goes out of style. And of course, rule of 40 was a little bit out of style in the past couple of years. But now, of course, everybody looking at cash runways, sustainability, and now rule of 40 has come back into fashion and back into vogue that people are looking at this metric. And again, there are a lot of inputs that go into whether you're rule of 40 or not, a lot of things that go in, but it's a good, I think, overall metric to look at and just understanding the balance those investments that you're making in your business what's that expectation is it going to produce revenue growth down the road is it going to produce efficiency you know so as a cfo i think it helps with that financial discipline process yeah it's one of those uh i'm not sure if it was out of vogue it was just it was okay to have a negative profit <laughs> right mm -hmm. uh as long as you had crazy growth numbers the negative profit side was okay but uh, yep. obviously profitability has taken a, a big swing is there any insight you can provide into what has happened there in terms of you know if we think about 12 months ago maybe even as long as uh, it's probably not six but definitely nine months ago uh, profitability wasn't the king uh, of, of SaaS businesses. And as we sit here today, obviously it is far more important. I wouldn't say it's, maybe it is king. Uh, I'll let you answer that question. But can you talk about that, that major shift that has happened for SaaS businesses over the last nine months? Yeah, of course, right? We know before the public, you know, the valuation crash, crash with SaaS companies, right? We had low interest rate environment, a lot of cash out there you know, easy, well, I wouldn't say easy, but just a lot of capital available to invest in businesses and to continue to invest. Of course, that change valuations went down, interest rates run up, and now it's a, it's a little bit harder. Maybe the hurdle rate is higher. Uh, now with PE buyouts, that, that debt market is influencing and having a factor on what they're looking at and, and what they want to look at. So it's just has, is really ratcheted up as far as you know, one, how we're operating the business more for sustainability uh, between rounds. And then also just in the valuation environment, just the expectations are higher. You can still get nice multiples, but just the expect expectations are higher for all those metrics that we talked about. Yeah, you've really got to be, you know, almost best in class across many of those key pillars to get anywhere close to uh, a valuation that you might have got 18, 24 months ago. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just harder. It's, it's the same thing, though. It's like companies can, you know, if you have a nice profile, you can still get funded. It's not like nothing is happening. And if you're trying to sell your company, you can still sell at nice valuation levels. It's just the expectations are higher. It has to be a little bit more best in class across the board. And of course, not everything has to be perfect. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's the standards are definitely higher. Right, let's shift course a little bit from uh, from kind of key metrics and benchmarks to talk about uh, how to scale a, a you know finance function within a SaaS business. As we said, you know it, it, it's pretty easy to go and find all the key metrics, and um, but as you go through that rapid growth uh, that SaaS businesses are historically known for, 
how should uh, CFOs and and you know FP&A leaders, accounting leaders, controllers think about those stages of growth and think about how to continuously manage their finance function? Because you know I see this all the time. I, I I'm in the marketing department. We're the first people to get budget cut, but we're the first to get reinvested in, frankly. Um, and that's because of the belief that we can create more more value. But historically, in SaaS businesses, GNA has tried to keep uh, as as kind of a lower threshold as we possibly can. So, it to me, it's historically felt like uh, in in SaaS businesses, the finance teams are always overworked, under resourced, and always playing catch up on the growth. So, is the, is it even possible to get ahead of this challenge? Well, it's it's a constant cycle. I think you're never yeah. at that utopia as far as technology, process, data, et cetera. And you know, if you're early stage, you're just building out the basics, right? Going from cash basis to accrual, to putting revenue management in place, you know, proper invoicing, sales tax compliance that you go through in the early stage startups. If you're more mature, you know, then it's that first FP&A hire or you hire the CFO and then eventually you hire, you know, they're doing the FP&A and then you hire an FP&A analyst, now they're doing it. You know, and then beyond that, you know, then you have the bigger organizations where you have corporate FP&A and maybe you're embedded, not embedded in business units, departments to help them out, uh, where it's a different thing. Now it's, I see cycles where it's, all right, we put in technology, we're improving the financial function, we're going up and to the right, and then we kind of plateau, right? Then we're kind of static, but then it's how do we push to that next step? Is it now replacing technology? You know, how is our, you know, how's, how are departments and business units changing? And really, I look at how, what are the executives, the people we're supporting as an FP&A person, you know, what data do they need to drive the business forward, which then dictates how I want to set up my processes, how I want to set up my technology, my reporting, not necessarily, necessarily me dictating to them, this is how you view it, but how do they view it? You know, and that then helps me shape my finance organization so I can be that good business partner. Speaking of, of business partners, I want to... Um... I want to just kind of mention a, a little uh, thesis that I have, um, which is that the the recent rise of revenue operations in the last kind of three to four years has has occurred generally because of the underinvestment in uh, in in GNA, and so larger go to market organisations like sales and marketing, and oftentimes at a bigger organisation, customer success frankly, couldn't get the information that you just described, right? Like the business couldn't get it from, from FP&A. So they went and created this like pseudo shadow FP&A team called Revenue Ops. And now they, they have all of the tools and technology to almost get their own data. What are you seeing in terms of, you know, in this current environment, it feels like that's being kind of clawed back a little bit by the office of the CFO. Can you talk about that challenge at all? Well, definitely. I mean, where I spend a lot of my time is with sales and marketing, right? There's so mm -hmm. much investment, so much going on. There's so much data in the sales and marketing areas that you spend most of your time there as a CFO, I think, at least in my experience. And yeah, if you don't have FP&A, then they're trying to do it themselves, trying to use technology, figure out, you know, have some reporting, some metrics. 
but you're do I've been tasked with that as a CFO because then it's almost overwhelming sales and marketing. There's so much data. Maybe the data is not clean. And it's, and it's like, hey, Ben, you know, use your you know, FP&A bench strength here and, and help them out. Start looking at the data. Make sure we're using it the right way. And of course, you get into the bigger organizations where then you'll have sales FP&A analysts just dedicated to that marketing and sales mm -hmm. arm. Uh, because it just, again, like any SaaS business, there's a lot of data in there. And then in the sales and marketing, you have so much data trap there that you can use that then FP&A definitely getting involved if you have the resources for that. And so how, how do SaaS businesses think about that data hierarchy, if you will, to, to your point, right? Like you've got all of the key SaaS metrics that you talked about under the, the key pillars, and they're all driven by many different layers of, of metrics. And what's important to me as a CMO is probably very different to what's important to my chief customer officer versus my uh, chief revenue or chief sales officer. How does uh, finance go and think about what do they need to gather and prioritize ultimately in terms of starting to either claw back some of that from from revenue operations or, or really just build the foundation from scratch yeah i think cfos really have to be stewards of the data and the technology within SaaS businesses and maybe we're not making that decision but we need to be involved because think about the quote to cash process you know the data coming into our crm system and then eventually comes to accounting the invoice to RevRec to collect that cash and now the data is so intertwined that I need to be involved. Say if my CMO wants to replace the CRM or do something different with the CRM, uh, you know, or put some quoting process in place, all that data is flowing downstream eventually to finance. So I need to know, I need to be involved. And maybe I'm not telling them, hey, this is the CRM system you're, you should select, but I, a CFO should definitely be involved in that process because it's just, all the data is so connected and customer success for renewals and retention and the data they will want from our existing contracts. You know, so understanding again, the data that they're needing, but a lot of that stuff does flow back down to finance. And what, um, yeah, it, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of been taught everything flows back to finance, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not many much data in a business that they kind of never really hits finance uh, in a, you know, primary, secondary or tertiary way in the end. Um, and so that's that's a big challenge, of course, uh, for a CFO or FP&A lead to, to manage. As you think about uh, the, the kind of FP&A teams, how do you see them prioritizing, for example, how important the quote to cash process is and then on the you know on the accounting side the whole procure to pay process obviously goes through a, a major um, maturity curve as well what prioritization should uh, should leaders you know finance leaders put on those uh, on those processes as they grow yeah, I think it really, again, it depends on the stage of your business and, and what are those priorities? What are you trying to build out, right? Are you trying to build out your FP&A function for the first time and we need tech there, we need skills? Uh, or, you know, we're at that point, now we want to improve that quote to cash process. So I think there are different pain points and priorities, depending on the situation of the business, the size of the business. Is it the first time? Are we doing a rip and replace? Uh, but all those, you know, that's why it becomes so complex for CFOs because yeah, I've got to understand quote to cash. I've got to understand how you procure, approve bills, pay bills, 
uh, you know, it's, it's so sometimes it's just, you know, resources do become spread thin and, it, and what's the biggest fire and also aligning those priorities to maybe our corporate objectives, you know, maybe that kind of dictates, you know, where the CFO, well, should it dictate where the CFO is spending his or her time. Yeah, of course, the CEO needs to dictate the drivers of, uh, you know, a lot of SaaS businesses use the OKR methodology or, or V2MOM. They're all very similar, right? Setting out those stage-based goals quarter over quarter, year over year. And, uh, you know, one thing that you mentioned is kind of the, the technology aspect, right? Do we need to invest in people? Do we need to invest in technology? Certainly something that I, I feel is happening right now and and... I've seen this in, you know, MarTech and then sales tech and now in office of CFO tech. Feels like we're at this almost golden age right now is something that we've, we've used here at Planful of CFO technology where it is being far more prioritized than it ever has before. What do you think the key driver of that is right now uh, for, for CFOs and FP&A leads that are making those technology investments that they probably were pushing off you know, three, four years ago. Well, there's so much more technology available to finance and accounting. Of course, right, MarTech went through its whole revolution, tons of solutions out there for marketing and sales. And now, and that kind of was why I created my SaaS tech stack report, because people are asking what, what tech are people using in SaaS companies? And I've been doing this for four years now, first solely focused on finance and accounting. And it's just exploded how much is available, new accounting solutions coming to play, FP&A tools, sales tax, uh, closed management software, uh, sales commission compensation management. So you know, the, the focus has maybe shifted more to the back office a little and it's just exploding. And now there's so much technology available. And I say, you know, CFOs, just like the development team has their product roadmap, CFOs need their own product roadmap mm -hmm. because there's so many choices now. And every year the categories expand in my tech stack report. One, you know, solutions that are just focused on finance and accounting, but also just solutions that overlap immensely with yeah. finance and accounting, like a CRM system and that data flowing into accounting. You know, so that integration is so important. So it's just there's so much tech available now in the back office and finance and accounting. And we can't just, you know, we've got to do a little bit more research now. Yeah, that um, that maturity and not only the maturity curve that you we talked about, you know, you also need to align that maturity curve with your technology curve and, and the people that you, you need to look for and and the competencies that they have, of course, if, if you go and look out for talent, I certainly feel this on the, on the marketing side, I could go and buy, you know, buy a, a technology. If my team don't know how to use it, then overcoming that can take six, nine, 12 months. And I'm sure that's the same with CFO tech. As much as vendors like us uh, would say, ah, oh, yeah, but ours is easy to adopt, easy to learn the speed that you can get uh, is really, really important. Yeah, I mean, that's, of course, always a bonus if, if someone on your staff has experience with that technology and, you know, huge bonus, but maybe that's not going to sway my decision for some things, but yeah, it's just right. And that's where things have changed this year, where now people pairing back their tech stack on use software, let's cut it. And now we need a little faster ROI. You know, mm -hmm. I think the expectations are we can't just invest something and we see the benefits two years from now if we're going to spend more on the tech stack. 
yeah, time to value is important, mm-hmm. and and the value realization uh, time frame has has almost gone from oh we can wait to see this value nine twelve months from now. It's you know by by week four or week six of the implementation, you have to realize real benefits. Otherwise, is the investment isn't coming. Yeah, and I'm sure you know all those FP&A teams who who went through the pandemic really exposed weaknesses in process and data and technology. Now we're doing scenario planning, tons of forecasts, what if scenarios, and that I'm sure was a hugely painful process for some who just didn't have that infrastructure in place, or there are a lot of lessons learned. Now we're going to put that in place so we're ready, so we can move faster if we need to move faster with the company. Yeah, hopefully no more black swan events uh, no. coming anytime soon. But what we have seen for sure is uh, that that change is more constant, uh, faster than ever, and, and doesn't seem to be slowing down. So, if you identified those gaps during during a black swan event, uh, time to find the resiliency and and create resiliency is is now. Uh, I would certainly say. So Ben, I, I know we're coming up to time here. How can people uh, find more more about what we talked about? For example, uh, your five pillars of SaaS businesses, any of the benchmark reports, and and also your your tax tech stack evolution. Yeah, definitely. I've got a lot of resources out uh, uh, on my website at thesascfo.com, thesascfo.com. My templates, my forecast models, uh, a lot of in-depth posts on SAS metrics and finance. I partner with Ray Reich at RevOps Squared, who's producing, I think, one of the largest B2B SAS metrics data sets out there. That's a great resource for B2B SAS benchmarks. Uh, and then I have my academy at thesascademy.com where I've got a lot of content on, again, SAS metrics, SAS finance. Uh, yeah, so a lot of resources yeah, out there. Great. Well, you, you're going with the, uh, the resource-led growth model. So I like that one. <laughs> um, and, uh, and how can people contact you? Yeah, they can either, my email is ben at thesascfo.com. So feel free to email me or contact me through my blog or connect with me uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, Happy to uh, talk shop. Awesome. Well, Ben, really appreciate the time and the the SAS uh, CFO knowledge drop today. It was certainly insightful for me and I'm sure to many listeners. Thanks for uh, joining us here on the Being Planful podcast. Thanks for having me on. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.